I love it. Awesome. Um, we're going to be in the book of James, believe it or not. I know that, you know, you know, we've been in here for nine weeks now, but we're sticking in there. We are finishing up chapter three this morning. Um, so we are in cha- taking us nine weeks to get through three chapters, which is, I don't know, good, bad. It's one of the, it just is what it is. So we are trucking through there. We've got a couple more chapters to go. In this series that I've just simply titled Life Authentic, the picture of what it might really mean if you and I lived as a reflection of what we truly believed about God, if our lives were pictures of authenticity, right? <clears throat> and, I, and I mentioned, every time I do this, I mentioned that a lot of this was born out of my own kind of frustration with living a spiritual mediocre life, living in the middle. I mean, not really stepping into who I know God has called me to be, Um, living in contentment with just, you know, I think that part of me that just says, I'm okay where I am. And spiritually, it was killing me. And so I started reading the book of James, and I realized that James is a letter to believers, Christians, followers of Christ, that are stuck in a place where they have, have not come into this full encounter with all that God has for them. And so to really step into a life authentic means, Jesus, I want to come face to face with a God that made me who you're calling me to be. And I want my life to match all the things that I say I believe about you. I want my life to be authentic. And so the challenge as we look at the book of James has been stepping into a life of authenticity and not one that lives in the middle but one that lives in the, in the fact that God has called us to something amazing, and we want to risk to follow him. So that's where we've been over the past few weeks by just a quick little recap of where we were last week. Last week, we, we, James kind of got us into this sort of speak love thing where he talked about how our words should be expressions of our heartbeat for Jesus. And we really unpacked a few things, and we talked about how the tongue, even though really small, was an incredibly important muscle, and the things that we said and how we said them I actually really mattered. We talked about the fact that if we didn't control our tongue or the things that we say and how we said them, they actually can be a tool for the enemy. We talked about how James explains that Satan can use those things to impact the lives of people in a really negative way. We also talked about the fact that we should speak and our our language should be a reflection of the love that we have for Jesus. So the things that come out of my mouth should be a reflection of my love for Christ. And I gave everybody this sort of distinct challenge, these little three, three things where we said, I challenge you this week, which would have been last week, to, to really do three things. To ask yourself, would I say this to Jesus, right? Before I said it, would I really, the way I'm about to say this to my coworker, my wife, my spouse, whatever, the language I'm about to use, what I'm about to say about somebody else, would I really say this to Jesus? And the conviction that would lie, in, that would lie there within, we'd say, man, I, I don't know that I would like to use this language, these words, this sentence, this idea in front of my God and my Savior, um, yet I'm willing to use it in front of the people I, I, I work around and I live amongst. So to really ask ourselves that and see if we couldn't begin to control what we thought and how we said it. To make a commitment to speak love. Not just words of love, but loving tones. A lot of times we, we say things that are, seem really great on the outside, but the way that we say them to people is not done in love. And so the challenge was to speak love. Make a commitment to speak love. So I'm going to ask myself before I say this, what I say to Jesus. I want to speak love, and then finally, to find someone else in your life and either apologize or honor them. Find someone in your life that you need to say, look, I am, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, I, it doesn't matter what you've done to me or what position you put me in or any of those kind of things. No qualifiers, no disclaimers, just I'm sorry for how I've treated you, spoken to you, or maybe haven't spoken to you, right? Maybe we needed to apologize. Or if you couldn't find someone in your life that the Lord sort of raised up and you identified with, that you would just say, I'm going to find someone in my life to honor. I'm going to pray that God will give me someone, and I'm going to use my words 
my actions to speak love into their life, and I'm going to honor them. Now, I don't know how many of you really did any of those things. I would pray that on some level you took more than these words that we sit here on Sunday morning and we kind of talk about and we open up and you walk out and you go, yeah, you know, it wasn't bad. I've heard worse. I've heard better. But somewhere you would say, God, I want these, these words of, of, of your scripture to change my life. I want these things to be so powerful that it affects how I live. I'm tired of walking into church, hearing things, saying yes, and walking out and seeing my life live in the exact same patterns. And the challenge was simply to make you do something with God's truth. So if this is what God is saying, I want to do something with it. This morning's the same way. I'm going to say a lot of things that you might go, wow, you know, that's all right. It's not bad. It's pretty good. I probably need to hear that. And then walk out of here and not let one little piece of it affect you. The truth is, is that when we come face to face with God's word, it has to affect us, has to change us. We, walk, we need to walk away changed. And so if you've been here for nine weeks and your life feels and looks the same, you've got to ask yourself, am I allowing God's word to transform my life? Or am I simply being a Christian that is just soaking stuff up, becoming fat and happy, and not being challenged to live in a radically different way? An authentic life is one that says, man, I am going to live what I believe. So this morning, we're going to be looking at the second part of James chapter 3, and he's going to shift gears from this love speak into really this idea of wisdom. And he's going to talk about two different kinds of wisdom, one which is true, truth, and one which is a lie. And the question we're going to really deal with this morning is which one defines your life? And, and I promise the answer is not quite as easy as you might think it is. So if you've got your Bible, I want you to turn to James chapter 3. We're going to pray, and uh, then we'll sort of... Uh, dive into uh, to this stuff together. James chapter 3 in verse 13, and we'll make it through the rest of the chapter this morning. As we look at wisdom, um, well, let's, let's do this. Before we pray, let me, let me backtrack a little bit and tell you this. We're going to revisit something that we talked about in James chapter 1. You remember, those of you that were coming back in James chapter 1, we talked about a concept of wisdom. James 1, 5 says that if, if anyone lacks wisdom, they should ask God who gives generously without finding fault. And remember, that was coming on the heels of that verses 2 and 3 that says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds, right? Consider that joy. And we talked about finding joy in the middle of circumstance and trials. And, and James says, you know, if you don't have wisdom, ask God. And we explained wisdom as this sort of really simple notion of being able to live or apply what I know. Right, the ability to live or apply what I know. I mean, someone has once described that little simplicity kind of definition of wisdom, which is my ability to live what I know, to apply my knowledge. We look at that with the book of James, and we said this. We said, if James is saying pray for wisdom, really what he's talking about there is, God, give me the ability to trust you in the middle of difficult circumstances. I know that you're a God who's faithful and a God who heals me and a God who redeems and a God who will provide. Wisdom is the ability to live that. To trust that. And that's what we explained in James chapter 1, that first week that we opened up this series, was God, true wisdom is trusting that you are who you say you are. And we're going to use that same picture of wisdom and apply it to what James is going to say today. Because that same simplicity is very true. Do I really, am I really willing to live and believe who God says he is? That what I know about God, am I really to allow that to, to play out in my life. The wisdom that James is talking about is, is not some kind of cerebral wisdom like Mensa memberships or, you know, SAT scores or, or whatever. He's talking about a simple ability to live what I know to be true about who God is, right? So not deep wisdom of all the ages and figuring out how the dinosaurs worked with all these things, but really just, God, 
Can I live what I know to be true about who you are? So I want you to keep that in your mind because that's what we're going to unpack as we do and kind of walk this idea of wisdom this morning. God, am I willing to really live what I believe about who you are? So as we think about that, let's take a minute and let's pray. God, I thank you for, well, I thank you for your truth that it's timeless. And I thank you, God, that your word is sharper than any double-edged sword. That it penetrates even dividing joint, marrow, soul, and spirit. God, that you teach us and instruct us through your word. You tell us that it's useful for teaching and rebuking and correcting and training in righteousness. Father, this is not a simple exercise that we engage in this morning. We are coming face-to-face with truth. We are coming face-to-face with you and your word. God, this is not something that we look at and we say, yeah, I like it or I don't like it. And this is coming face to face with a God who created everything. And so penetrate us, turn our lives upside down as we come face to face with you this morning. Take a moment and just pray in your own life. Just pray that God would move in you. Just say, God, move in me this morning. Just move in me. Just pray for that. Take a moment and pray for someone around you, husband, wife, son, daughter, friend, family, someone you've never seen. Just just whisper a little prayer to the Lord. Just say, God, I want you to move in this person's life. Be in the habit of praying for people around you. Lord, we just ask that you take these next few minutes and you transform them for your glory. That we might believe the truth of your word and not the lie of the enemy. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So James chapter 3, we're going to pick up in verse 13, read down to the end of the chapter, and then we'll just kind of, like we always do with this study, we'll just kind of break it down as we go. But I want you to keep that definition of wisdom in the back of your mind. James is still talking about that simplicity, that truth of being able to live and apply what we know to be true about who God is. So that's the real marker of an authentic life, a life that says, God, what I believe about you is reflected in how I live. I mean, this has been a hallmark of everything we've talked about for the past nine weeks in the book of James. God, the things that I think about you and I know about you, am I able to live those truths out? And James is basically saying that is wisdom, the ability to live out what I know about God. And most of us struggle with it. We struggle with it because... Our lives and our hearts, they don't say the same thing. We believe that God's provider, yet we live like he won't. We believe that God's protector, yet we, we want to take care of all of our own areas of life because we want to set up our own definitions of protection. True wisdom is understanding that I want my life to reflect what I believe to be true about who God is. So let's keep that in the back of our minds this morning as we open up <clears throat> James 3.13. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by his good life, by deeds done in humility that come from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but it's earthly and unspiritual. It's of the devil. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. So from the very beginning, 
even set up by your little Bible subheadings, you'll see that James is going to be talking about two kinds of wisdom. Right? The first wisdom is from heaven, and it is sort of rooted in humility and good works, as outlined right there in first, verse 13. So first one comes from heaven and is rooted in, in good works and humility, right? The second one, or the second wisdom, right, is completely the opposite. In fact, your Bible puts one wisdom in quotes and one not in quotes. The first wisdom, true wisdom, from the Lord, no quotes. Second wisdom in quotes, from the enemy, all right, it's rooted in envy and selfish ambition. And, and I want to start off by putting us on the right footing before we really begin to unpack these because that second wisdom is not really wisdom at all. I mean, it's a false wisdom, right? If it's, if it's not wisdom, it's false wisdom. And if it's false wisdom, by very definition, it's a lie. It's not wise. It's untrue. So really what James is saying is that you have wisdom or truth from the Lord rooted in humility and good works, and you have a lie, false wisdom, which is by very definition untrue. You have a lie which is unspiritual from the earthly or the worldly, from the enemy, and is rooted in envy and selfish ambition. So I want to identify both of these things as this, truth, wisdom, the ability to really live and know what I believe about God, to live it out of my life, and the lie, which is something else that's whispered to us from the enemy. And what we're going to wrestle with this morning as we unpack both of these is which one can you identify the markers of in your life? Can you identify the markers of a true wisdom that is from the Lord that is rooted in humility and good works? Or is there something else that you've bought into that's rooted in selfishness and envy that's sort of running and found safe harbor in your life? So I want you to keep that thought because we're going to unpack these together. And let's look at that first one, or let's look at that false wisdom first, because I find it the most intriguing. James, in that verse 14, says this. He says that, but you who harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom, quotes, untruth, false wisdom, the lie, does not come from heaven, but is earthly and unspiritual and from the devil. James says, look, that untruth, that lie is rooted or basically pushed forward by two things. All right, It's pushed forward by envy and by selfish ambition. And I really started looking at these words because I thought they were, they were really important. I mean, if this is what James says is the marker for the lie, these are the markers, the hallmarks for believing and living the lie of false wisdom. Envy and selfish ambition. I really started looking at those and trying to think about what they meant. And, and they're striking. Because envy, I think a lot of us are misguided in our understanding of envy. We think that envy means I look at someone else's life and I want what they have. So, you know, so-and-so got a car and I'm envious of that car and I want that car in my own life. We look at that and we say, that's envy. Or so-and-so got the promotion at work and I'm envious of that. Or so-and-so got to take their family on this trip. Or so-and-so got a raise, or they have this more money, or, or their parents had this kind of wealth, or, or I'm envious of something else in someone else's life. That's what we think envy really is. But the truth is envy is actually something different. While that may be the end result, envy actually is the lack of satisfaction or lack of contentment with your own life. See, envy really begins with you. It begins with me. It's not about what they have and, and, and I want it. Envy actually is about the fact that I can't find joy and satisfaction in me, in my life. 
And when that happens, when I begin to look at my life and I'm not content and I'm not satisfied and I don't have joy, my eyes and my heart turn outward. And when they turn outward, I begin to see the lives of everybody else. And I begin to see that their family's working pretty good or their marriage is, is working out or, or they've got, they can do these things because they've got these kind of resources. And I begin to want those things for my life because I think that if I can have those, my lack of contentment and my lack of satisfaction, my lack of joy will somehow change. If I can just get my hands on that, and then we'll be okay. Just another 5000 a year. Then everything will change for us. If I can just get rid of this debt, if I could just get a new car, if I could just take my family on, on that one getaway, or if I could just get my husband to stop doing this and start doing that, if he were just more like him. You see, what happens is envy, when we find a lack of contentment or satisfaction in our own life, enjoying our own life, turns to that envy that says, that can fix me. And you know what? It's a marker of untruth, and it's a lie. See, a lot of us think envy is just simply like, oh, you got an Xbox, I want an Xbox. But really, envy, as James is talking about here, is the fact that I don't find joy in my own life. And I think that if I apply something from somewhere else, it will fix me. And James says it is a lie, and it is a marker of a life that is bought into a lie. The second thing that James says is he says, you've got envy, but you also have selfish ambition. The lie is driven by these two things. Envy, lack of contentment and joy and satisfaction in my own life. Forget what everybody else has. And selfish ambition. Now this ambition is not the kind of, of, of ambition that would drive you to want to succeed at work. In fact, ambition is probably a bad word. It doesn't really fit what James is talking about. Really what he's talking about is promotion. Self-promotion and elevation. He's saying the lie is driven by the desire to promote and elevate ourselves. And we do this for a lot of reasons. One, we do it because it hides the mess of our own lives. When we promote ourselves to other people, we want to elevate what our life really looks like from the inside and the out so that other people will see us differently than we really are. We do it all the time. Now, I know what you're thinking is you're probably thinking, that's not really me. I mean, I'm kind of true and I'm real and I'm out there all the time. I would say probably not. Most of us aren't. I mean, those of you that are Facebook people know this to be true. Facebook is the largest self-promotion elevation tool out there. I mean, you know, it's people posting pictures of, of their whole family in white shirts on the beach. It's a picture that we had at, at Disneyland or my little child all crumpled up on the couch sleeping with her face painted from the small town carnival we were at that afternoon, right? I mean, everybody's life is amazing on Facebook. And you always look at it and you're like, how come my life is so sad, Everybody I went to high school with is like, they're having the time of their lives. And they, you know, and here I am, you know, they put in pictures of the new coach purse on there. Like, oh man, look what I got, you know. Meanwhile, you're like, oh, great, I got a coupon to go to the store. You know what I mean? Facebook is this self-promotion tool and we all buy into it. When's the last time you posted a picture of your failed marriage on Facebook? I mean, come on. No one uses it to be, James, James is, and it's not just a Facebook phenomenon. That's just an expression of our culture and of our sinfulness. And I'm not saying don't use Facebook. I'm just saying that, look around. I dare you to go through your newsfeed and find someone's flaws. I mean, everyone's life is amazing out there. But, but that's who we are. I mean, we're driven by self-promotion. We are driven by me. And it's inauthentic and it's a lie because that's not who we truly are. Because the truth is, before your sleeping, cute little face-painted daughter 
fell asleep on the couch, you wanted to knock her out for eating three funnel cakes. Right? I mean, the truth is, is that we want people to see a different picture than who we really are. And it's inauthentic and it's a lie. And here's what James says. James says, you're going to be fed a wisdom, a real wisdom, and you're going to be fed a lie. You're going to real, that lie is driven by two things, and there's markers for it. There are, it's driven by envy, the lack of contentment and joy in your own life, and your desire to promote something about yourself that you're not to the world. Now, I find myself being guilty of these things all the time, but here's something really key that I want you to understand about what James says. Listen to what he says in verse 14. All right, he says, but, you, if you, but if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts. Now, listen to this. Every one of us is going to struggle with envy and selfish ambition. You are sinful. I am sinful. You are going to struggle with wanting things and not liking your life at times. It is who you are. You are going to struggle with selfish ambition. You are going to want people to not know that you are a failure. You are going to struggle with that. But notice what James says. But if you do what? Harbor selfish ambition and envy. Now think about harbor for a minute. Think about it in terms of what it really is. When you think about it in terms of the maritime culture or boating or whatever, what is a harbor? Well, a harbor is a safe place for a boat to go to escape the seas, right? To reload and restock. It is a safe place to rest. James is basically saying this. When you give envy, the lack of contentment and joy and satisfaction with your own life, Self-promotion, self-elevation, selfish ambition. When you give those safe harbor in your heart, you've got a major problem. See, James isn't saying you're not going to struggle with them. But he's saying when you let them take residence, hijack your life and your way of thinking, drop anchor and kind of just make it home, all of a sudden you've got a big problem. Because you've allowed the lie of the enemy to now become the way that you live. See, there's a difference in knowing the lie and living the lie. And James says that when those things harbor in your heart, something very significant happens. Verse 15. It corrupt, oh, you know, verse 15. Uh, such wisdom does not come from heaven, but is earthly and unspiritual. Verse 16. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and every evil practice. So what happens when you allow selfish ambition, promotion, elevation, and envy, lack of contentment and joy in your own life to harbor in your heart? What happens? Disorder in every evil practice. Now think about this. What's a marker in your life? Is there a marker in your life of chaos, disorder, restlessness, lack of peace, struggle, disorder, and just sinfulness? Maybe you've allowed the lie to creep into your life. Now, what is a lie? The lie is the inability to really live what I believe to be true about God. And James says, it's straight from Satan. Straight from Satan. Now, here's what I want to tell you before we move into the truth for just a second is this. The quickest way to guard your heart against the lie of Satan, against this sort of envy, lack of, all that stuff, the quickest way to do that is to find joy in where you are and who you are in Christ. That is the answer. I want to put it out there because I don't want you to think I'm going to get to it later on. That is the answer. If you are wrestling with those markers, struggle, disorder, chaos, restlessness, lack of peace, if you've allowed envy and selfish ambition, lack of those things to creep into your life, the quickest way to fight against it, push those ships back out to sea, is to decide that you're going to find joy 
where you are and who you are. I don't care where you are. I don't care how bad your life is, what a struggle it is. You're going to claim joy in it and contentment in it and love where you are and love who you are in Christ. Because the moment that you can do that, you will push that lie out to sea. Joy, where you are and who you are. And it doesn't have to be because life is perfect. It's because maybe life is struggle, but you know what? There's a great moment today, and I'm going to claim that great moment in Jesus. Even though the world around me is crumbling, I'm going to find great moments in Jesus. So James sets up the lie. So then he moves on to this idea of true wisdom, right? The ability to really live what I believe to be about true about God. Look at verse 17. The wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. So he's saying, look, real wisdom, true wisdom that comes from heaven, right? Not from the world or not from the enemy. This comes from the Lord, is pure and peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit. I'm going I'm to run through these real quickly. I don't want to spend too much time unpacking because you really get the idea. But here's what he says. Real, true wisdom. Being able to really live what you know to be true about God is first of all pure, meaning it is not driven from a sinful nature. It's not driven from envy or selfish ambition. It's not driven from a motive that says anything else than, God, I want to know you more. It's pure. It's not about me. The world is not about me, but it's pure, and it's peace-loving. Not world peace-loving like, you know, I want the world to be at peace, but that part of me that, that wants to not be restless anymore. The opposite of chaos and disorder that envy and selfish ambition bring about. But real wisdom is peace-loving, and it finds great joy in those moments of still waters. We did a whole series on rest for the soul. You remember that? The whole concept of that series was being able to live in the peace of your relationship with Christ. So it's peace-loving. It's considerate, right? It means it thinks about other people first. Not about me. Real wisdom says this world is not about what I want, but instead it's about the people around me. It's about putting my husband's desires before mine, my wife's heartbeat before my own. It's full of mercy. You know, one of the great pictures of a life full of mercy is, is this understanding. I'm a sinful disaster, and without Jesus, I would be a complete waste. And I want to reflect that same mercy on the people around me. So I'm not going to be judgmental. I'm not going to live that way. I'm going to reflect the same grace that Jesus poured out on me to the world. I'm full of mercy. I'm not giving you one chance, two I'll give you a thousand chances because that's what Jesus gave me. It's full of good fruit. Now, we've been talking about good fruit a lot. Good fruit is that picture that we saw in James that says, my life is a reflection of how I love Jesus. I live in such a way that produces good fruit, good works, right? It's impartial, meaning it's just, it's fair, and it's sincere, which in one word is really authenticity. Really, when I am able to live what I believe to be true about God, my life is authentic. We'll wrap everything up with this. What are the byproducts of these two things? The byproduct of real wisdom, and the byproduct of the lie. Well, the byproduct of the lie, as we learned in verse 16, is chaos. It's disorder. It's every evil practice. Do you know that envy, the lack of contentment and joy in your own life, leads to every other sin and practice out there? Think about that for a minute. When I don't begin to find joy in my own marriage, my own life, think about what that leads me to. 
when I'm not content in my own finances and I want to go about fixing that in a way that may be unhealthy, what will I do? How many immoral steps will it take for me to patch the hole? What about in my marriage? I'm so discontent with where I am, my eyes begin to look other places. You see where that leads me? The byproduct of the lie is disorder and chaos and every other evil practice. You wonder why your life is marked with struggle, with restlessness, with disorder, with chaos, with other things, because you've allowed the lie to make harbor in your life. And the byproduct is exactly what you're looking at. So what's the byproduct of the truth, of real wisdom? Verse 18, peacemakers who sow in peace, reap a harvest of righteousness. James says, the byproduct of true wisdom is peace. And not peace like, you know, everything is just groovy and great. Peace like my soul rests. Like, I know the world, I should feel really bad about things right now, but I'm just... I'm just okay with it. You know, I know things are hard and a little bit scary and a little bit uncertain, but I'm okay because the real wisdom that I'm living is leading me to peace. See, the lie leads us to disorder and chaos. Lack of contentment and joy in our own life and our, and our desire to promote ourselves leads us to chaos. But true wisdom, believing that Jesus is who he says he is and that I'm going to apply that to my life, I'm going to live what I believe about God, leads me to peace. As I laid these things out, wrapping everything up here, as I laid these things out in my life and I looked at them and I said, boy, man, I would be the first one to raise my hand and say, I live in true wisdom. But man, when I laid them out, I said, I've allowed the lie to take over my life and I didn't even know it. Maybe it's time that you and I push those ships out to sea and said, no longer is this envy, this lack of joy, this lack of contentment and satisfaction, no longer is my desire for people to see something untrue about me going to drive me. Satan, you can have your lies. I'm getting rid of them. And I'm going to begin to say, God, today I'm going to find joy in who you are because you say you're faithful and I want to live like I believe it. This morning as we close our time in worship and as a band comes back up here to lead us, I want to challenge you to really do business with the Lord. If you need to spend some time confessing and just saying, God, I need to be honest with you and I need to tell you some truths, then do that. If you want to ask someone to pray with you and just step off to the side, ask them to pray with you and do that. If you need to just get right with the Lord, then get right with the Lord. But don't make these messages that we're working through and the scripture that we're working through things where you say, hey, that's not bad, and I walk out and nothing changes in my life, and I allow those lies to continue to drop anchor in my heart. At some point in time, God's word needs to shake us to the very core and change everything about us. And that day needs to be today. Let's take a moment, let's just pray, and then let's turn our time over this morning to the Lord.